The God we serve wants to do things that we can't possibly even begin to imagine. And he has got a plan that trumps your plan. And so I'm glad that you're here this morning, and I'm glad as we get into this series. I always get excited when we jump into a new series, um, but I'm kind of doubly excited for this one. Because what we, we do today is we launch our, our last, the last of our short summer series. Um, and so we'll have four weeks, and we'll be talking about small group myths. Um, name of the series is Just Say Yes. Um, and so I'm going to go ahead and tell you now, over the course of this four weeks, we're going to be really practical. We're going to take a look at what God has to say in his word. But I'm going to tell you up front, yes, there is a heavy sell. And the heavy sell is... I want you to be in a small group. We said this last week. It's an Andy Stanley thing. Following Jesus makes your life better, and it makes you better at life. And we are going to live that out practically in small groups. And so you heard Malia say it, that we are pushing for 100% participation in small groups. For some of you, that's a no-brainer. For some of you, you're visiting today and you're thinking, holy nuts, what did I get myself into here? This is crazy. I don't want anything to do with this church. They're going to make me go to small group. It's okay. Trust me. And for some of you, you've actively resisted for several years now getting plugged in in small group. But, but you heard Malia say it, that we are pushing for 100% um, participation. And the reason for that is because we're launching a new series. So right after this series, this four-week, the last of our short summer series about small group, we'll be launching our 10-week series called I Am. And the reason for that, you heard her say it, but I want to repeat it, is because what you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you. When you think about God, you have automatic thoughts that come into your head about a God that's that's gracious, about a God that's angry with you, about a God that doesn't care what you do, about a God that doesn't really exist, about, about a God who, who loves you no matter what, about a God who dies for you. I don't know what your thoughts are, but, but whatever thoughts you have about God, those are the most important thoughts about you. And it is absolutely critical, then, that we think rightly about the God of the universe. And so we're going to launch this series where we're talking about the character, the attributes of the God of the universe— and not only that, but we're going to tackle each week, we're going to tackle, tackle sorry, cultural lies about the God we serve. And then when you get to your small groups, you're going to be breaking in uh, to some deeper discussion, and you're going to be breaking in uh, to, to some of that application about that attribute of God and, and where you've seen it and how you live it out and what it means for your life, and it's going to be good. And we're going to see, I would imagine, if you commit fully we're going to hear more and more stories about Nicole and Ben. I'm sorry, more and more stories like Nicole and Ben. I don't know what they got coming up. So, be too, no. But, but more and more stories like that. More and more stories of lives that are changed. Because why? Because we sit down and we look at God rightly and we discuss it together and we apply it together and we live it out together and we go deeper. Okay, husbands, I want to talk to you for a second. I need you to lead your families in this. More often than not, what happens when I say small groups is wives get excited, husbands get reserved. It doesn't have to be that way. I'm not saying that's the way it is for you, but by and large, that's the way it works. And so if you're married today, husband, listen to me. I need you to lead your wife in this. 
I need you to lead your family in this. Following Jesus will make your life better, and it will make you better at life, period. I need you to lead, okay? We'll talk more about that as we go, but we're going to jump in here. Uh, And as you heard from Nicole's testimony today, what we're talking about is time. And one of the things that we hear all the time is um, that I don't have time for that. We talk about small group, we talk about getting plugged into something extra, and we hear, I just, I don't have time. I can't make it work. And I get that. Because I I think we're all busy. We've all got stuff going on, and we all hit a wall. I had one of those yesterday morning. Some of you went and you did a 5K. Who did the 5K? Right? I, I saw the pictures on Facebook. You got on the bus. The bus was full of people that went to North Liberty. You did a 5K. Guess where I did not go? to North Liberty to do a 5K. Somebody this morning looked at me. I mean, they're like, I know why you didn't go do the 5K. Like, I can walk 5K. I don't even really know what that is. It's like three point something. I can do it, right? That's not the problem. The problem is I hit a wall and I was just done. And I get it. And you get there too. And I get it. And I understand. And it's this thing. You know, we do it with our time and we do it with our money. Good research tells us that we tend to spend, in time and money, uh, the, the normal, average American family tends to spend 10% more than they have, both financially and in their time. And with, with money, I mean, we can push that off for a long time, can't we? That's what credit cards are for. That's what debt's for. We, we, we end up spending more than we bring in, but we push further and further away, and it's a problem, but we can at least ignore it for a while. But when it comes to time, when it comes to time and you're spending more than you're bringing in, when you spend more than you have, eventually good things are going to get left behind. Now, some of you are sitting here and you've never once had the issue of running out of time. You've got a whole different issue that we need to deal with. I mean, let's, let's just be honest. If you're sitting here and you're like, I have got all kinds of free time, you shouldn't. You shouldn't, okay? But for most of us, we extend ourselves so much that we're out of time. And, and so we need to look at how to address that because when it starts robbing our spiritual life, when it starts robbing our families and it starts robbing our growth, we have issues that we need to address, Okay? And so we're going to ask a question today, and we're going to see if we can figure out a way to address this, because the reality is there is no trick to make more time in your day. Right? I can't share with you a couple of quick tips that will carve out a couple of extra hours of every day. It doesn't work that way. Time is what it is. You get the same as everybody else does. And here's the thing about it, too. You can't count it, can't count on it. All you can do is live your life to the best you can. And so we're going we're gonna to ask ourselves a question today, and we're going to use it as a filter, hopefully, to make some wise decisions. We'll give credit to Andy Stanley for this. This is his question. Uh, we're going to borrow it uh, for our purposes this morning. The question is this, in light of my past experiences, in light of my current circumstances, so that's in light of the things that have happened to me in my past, in light of where I've been and what my life has been like. For some of you, uh, that's family of origin stuff. For some of you, it's, it's just how you grew up or different things. But in light of where I've been and in light of where I currently am, my current circumstances, 
Do I have kids at home? Do I not have kids at home? Do I have people counting on me? Do I not have people? Am I retired? Or do I need to go to work every day? Okay, in light of my past experiences, my current circumstances, and my hopes and dreams for the future. If you're here this morning and you have no vision for your future, we need to talk about that. Because you need a vision for your future. Men, I'll go ahead and talk to you again. Husbands, fathers, you need a vision for your family. Okay, but in where you are, your past experiences in light of your current circumstances and in light of your hopes and dreams for the future, what is the wise thing for me to do? See, what I want to suggest is that this is a question that you should be able to use as a filter for making decisions. What's the wise thing for you to do? Not, not what's legal or illegal, not what's right or what's wrong, not what's the least amount I can get away with, what's the easiest, but what's the wise thing for you to do? And so we're going to tackle this, and we're going to deal with it, um, and we're going to see exactly what God has to say um, in his word about how this plays out, okay? So we're going to jump right in here. You can open up your Bible if you want to. Oh my goodness, that, that's the one I wanted. Uh, Job 14.5, you can look at this. Job 14.5 is, is just this weird, strange little statement in the book of Job. Of course, Job is having a rough day. Uh, he's having a rough week, a rough month. We know this story. Um, he's been tested. Satan has come against him. He's standing firm. Uh, but here's, here's what happens in Job 14.5. He says, you have decided the length of our lives. You know how many months we will live, and we are not given a minute longer. Okay, now what, what that seems to suggest is that um, God knows exactly what you get. God knows exactly how long you're going to live. Now, there are some theological implications there that we can wrestle with another time because some of us are, are, are thinking, well, time out, wait a minute. Uh, what does that mean for tragedy? Did God know tragedy was going to happen? What does that mean uh, when, when um, our, our, our children uh, struggle and, and pass? What does that mean when there's natural disasters? And so we wrestle with this a little bit. And, and I'm not sure how you want to theologically answer it. And here's what I'm going to tell you for right this second. I would love to have that conversation with you, but for right now, I don't care. Because that doesn't have anything to do with what we're saying right now. What we're saying right now is, and nobody can argue this, no matter what your theological perspective is on the sovereignty of God and the free will of man and, and how it meshes together, there is not one of you that can rightly argue that your time is not limited. It's really what we're saying here is that your time is limited. That's a biblical imperative. That's something we know. You can't get more. God has decided the length of our lives. You know how many months we'll live, and we are not given a minute longer. You will not get to the end of your life, and you will not be able to bargain for more. It doesn't work. It can't work. And so the question that we have to answer is, how do we use it wisely? If I can't bargain for more time, if I can't bargain for life extension, then, then how do I use it wisely? And for Christians, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, the things we'll talk about with time, that'll be important for you. You can learn something from that. I mean, it, it, it's all straight from Scripture, and, and um, 
but, but even if you're not someone that necessarily believes in the God of the universe, you can still learn and grow with this. But if you are a Christian here, this is critically important for you. And how you spend your time is critically important for you if you're a Christian, because listen to me, you know something. And that simply is that it doesn't belong to you. Your life is not your own. Your resources are not your own. Your time, your talent, and your treasure never really belonged to you. We read here in Luke 12, it says, when someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. The thing that we understand as we read through the entirety of the New Testament, the entirety of Scripture, actually, the thing we understand is that as a Christian, as someone who is here in service to the God of the universe, you serve as an ambassador to the God of the universe, nothing that you own belongs to you. Not your money, not your stuff, not your home, not your time. Some of you get that well. I am always amazed um, at the way that some of you in this congregation, um, and, and you should be amazed at this too. If you know some of the stories, then it's easy for you to be like, yeah, I'm amazed at that. If you don't, trust me, at the way some people in the congregation are constantly pouring themselves out for the sake of other people. That we, we have people that are constantly in response to the God of the universe, in response to the gospel of grace, in response to the fact that they don't own their stuff. They are constantly opening up their house to let people in. They are constantly opening up their checkbooks to provide for people that need it. They are constantly pouring their time out for other folks. And we look at them, we're like, wow, you guys are awesome. And they are awesome. We have, we have multiple families that, that act and, and, and do these things. And we say, we're awesome. But the reality is, we all ought to be. Because my mandate is no different than theirs. I don't own my stuff any more than they own theirs. They're not being super spiritual. You know what they're being? They're being obedient. And we have to wrestle with some of this. And so we know when it comes to time, none of it's ours anyway, okay? And so we're going to deal with uh, four things here real quick. We're going to look at four things that are true about time. These are things that you probably know, but it's incumbent on us to, to really deal with them. Um, and we'll talk about them maybe in a different way, way that'll, that'll challenge you a little bit. But, uh, but here we go. One, investing small amounts of time over time is cumulative. Summative. Investing small amounts of time over time is cumulative. What I mean by that, okay, is that when you do a little bit every day, we know it adds up. You can think about it in terms of your physical health, okay? When you invest a little bit in your physical health every day, at the end of the year, it's added up to quite a bit invested in your physical health. Okay? You can think of that in terms of family time. If you sit down and have one family dinner together, one family meal every day, whether it's breakfast or whether it's dinner, you sit down and you have one family meal together every day. It's just one meal. Nothing earth-shattering has ever come from one meal at the table together. But you do that four, five days a week. 
all of a sudden your kids are 18 and they're leaving the house. They're going off to college. They've joined the military. They've gotten a job. They're moving out, whatever it is. But you've invested that it's just a little bit, a little small investment every day, okay? Four or five times a week, we're sitting down and we're having meals together and we're pouring into this and it's just a little investment, but all of a sudden they're 18 and they're leaving the house. That's cumulative, that's summative, that adds up. And it's no different with your spiritual life. Small investments. You're gonna wake up 10 minutes early and you're gonna read your Bible today. I'm going to go off by myself and I'm going to pray for 15 minutes. It's a small investment. Listen, nobody's life, I shouldn't say nobody, most people's life has not been dramatically changed because of one 15-minute Bible reading session. There may be a story of someone who opens it up for the first time and reads about the grace of God and surrenders to maybe. But most people's life is not dramatically changed because they spent 15 minutes reading the Bible one time. See, many of you tell me, I can't read the Bible because I can't concentrate. And, and, and all I can do, I can read five minutes, and after I read five minutes, my mind starts to wander, so you know what, I just don't do it at all because five minutes, what difference does that make? Well, you do it five minutes, and you do it 365 days a year. You know what? It's cumulative. It's summative. It adds something. And it's the same for small group. It's the same for small group. When you invest an hour and a half a week to go to small group, one small group, probably not going to change your life. But you're in small group every week, faithfully reading and praying and growing with the people that you're in group with. Well, I tell you what, the effect of that is cumulative. It adds up. Okay? But the thing to understand here is that investing small amounts of time adds up, which means here's the problem. You can miss one. And when you miss it, you can say to yourself, honestly, eh, it's no big deal. It's just one. It's just one workout, right? Skipping one workout is not going to, listen, I skipped one workout years ago. <laughs> and I've been skipping them ever since. Right? Right? Like, like we're going we're gonna to be good, right? We're going to eat healthy, except it's pizza night. And just one time isn't going to hurt anything. See, the problem is the fact that it adds up over time in a society that's now, 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 now. I want it now. I want it yesterday. Give it to me. I want immediate payoff. I want to finish it. I want it done. Right? That's why we binge watch TV. Some of you do this on purpose. Some of you, there's a show that you really want to watch on TV, but you wait. You wait until it's all over, and then you watch it on Netflix so you can see it all in two days. Come on, who binges TV? Right? right? Because you're like, I don't want to wait till next week to find out what happens. I want to wait 15 seconds when that show's over until the next one starts. We want it right now. But... The truth is, and we know this, we teach it to our kids, small, small investments over time add up, okay? But here's the problem. Neglect is cumulative too. Neglect adds up. And I want to tell you, 
it's true, all the big areas in life, your, your finances, your relationships, your health, but, but when I think spiritually, I've sat with people in my office, people who've neglected their spiritual life, people who've quit going to church, or, or they've, they've started to neglect their small group. They've started to neglect their Bible study. I sit with people in my office that are going through life issues, big transitions, changes, challenges, places where the world is encroaching and threatening everything. And I sit with them and I talk with them and, and, and honestly, they've got nothing. They have no faith to rely on. They have no truth of God burned into their hearts that they can stand on and say, I can deal with this. Why? Well, because neglect is cumulative. Neglect adds up the same way investment does. And I've sat with people in my office. I mean, this is, this is not an uncommon occurrence. I've sat with people in my office who, who, when life is difficult and things are happening and pressure is on and things are falling apart and they look at me and they say, I'm not even sure God's real. I'm not even sure God's real anymore. Because neglect is cumulative. And it's easy. And it's costly. Okay, it's something that you have to understand here is that neglect is a whole lot easier than investment. It just is. And it adds up. And habits form. And the next thing you know, you haven't been to small group um, in forever, and, and, and you know what? Then the relationships get a little tricky and awkward, and, and so you stop coming to church a little bit, and you haven't been in the Word forever, and you know your life doesn't look the way it's supposed to look, and so you don't want to pray because the first thing you're going to have to do when you come to prayer is you're going to have to wrestle with the fact that the God of the universe is, is saying no, and you're saying yes, and it's hard, and, and we neglect, and it's easy, and it costs. Next truth. Random has no cumulative value. Random has no cumulative value. I sit down with my family, okay, four nights a week, five nights a week, so that we can have dinner together as a family. That has value. That adds up over time, right? I watch TV instead. I play video games, right? I stop at the bar on my way home from work so that um, I miss family dinner time, right? I go out with buddies. I stay at work late. Those things don't add up. In this hand, if I, if I do this and I invest over time, it builds up. But the random, the random has no value over time. And so it'll feel wasted when we look back. Last thing here. Uh, in the areas that matter most, you can't make up for misspent time. In the areas that matter, you cannot cram. You cannot Pull an all-nighter. I was in college. I was a freshman. I was 18. I took a class called Geology 100. Liberal arts degree. You can, whatever. Um, it was at Augustana College, nice private school. I paid a lot for that class that I never went to at 8 o'clock in the morning on Tuesdays and Thursdays in the winter where they don't take attendance. It's like I'm having this realization that it doesn't matter if I show up. Nobody cares. Nobody ever called my mom. <laughs> Nobody ever called my mom and said, hey, um, 
Matt hasn't been coming to class. Nobody ever called my mom and said, you know what? I don't think he's going to do well. Never happened. But I got to this point where it was too late to drop the class. Okay, you remember college. You remember when it was too late to drop the class. It was like a sad day when you're like, huh, I haven't gotten any work done. I probably ought to fix that. And you go to drop the class, and they're like, yeah, no, the deadline's over. You can't get reimbursed for that. You're going to get a grade one way or the other. Okay, time to buckle down. And so I remember what happened for finals, because, you know, it was like I wanted to pass the class. I couldn't drop it. I had to pass the class, which meant I had to get a B or higher on the final. That's a terrible feeling, by the way. Listen, you guys going to college? Don't. Don't do that. So what did I do? I pulled an all-nighter. Pulled an all-nighter. Night before the final, 8 o'clock exam, I made coffee. This is where my love of coffee started. Actually, I think it was with that class. I made coffee. I stayed up all night. I worked hard, and I got my B-plus, I think, on the final, and I got, I think, a C-minus in the class, and it was awesome, and it was great, and I decided something that day. This guy works well under pressure. guy. And once I was a junior and there was a uh, 15 to 20 page research paper. Three days. Waited till the end of the semester. Went to the library on Friday and pulled every article I could. Cobbled together enough research to make some kind of a point. I can't even remember what it was. Wrote a paper. Turned it in Monday morning. B minus. Felt pretty good about that. This guy works under pressure. But you know what the problem is? In real life, it doesn't work that way. Maybe that's, you know, you're, you think about your job. There's presentations maybe that you, you can show up and be ill-prepared and you can knock it out of the park. I know pastors that show up after not really spending a whole lot of time, some weeks getting prepped, and they stand up here on Sunday morning, and, and all of a sudden it's probably the best sermon they've ever done. Whatever. The reality is, in the, in the areas of life that matter, the way that God has done the world, you can't cram. You can't have an all-nighter. In the most important areas of your life, it doesn't work that way. Your family, your finances, your spiritual health, your physical health, it doesn't work that way. Imagine missing a month of family dinners, and you say to your kids, hey guys, we're going to sit down and have breakfast on Saturday, and it's going to go 12 hours. <laughs> because we got time to make up for or you've done that where you haven't been to the gym in a while. You haven't been to the gym in a while. And so you're like, man, I got I to gotta get to the gym. And because you haven't been in a while, you go to the gym and you hit every set of weights there, there are. Like three times. And you lift way more than you should. And then what happens? The next day you can't stand. You can't go back to the gym for three weeks. Because it doesn't work that way. There are some things you can't cram for and you can't fix, which makes wisdom necessary when we decide. That's why we go back to, to Stanley's original question, which I think is so important for us when we figure out time. It's like, okay, in light of my past experiences, my current circumstances, and what my hopes and dreams are for my future, what's the wise thing for me to do? 
And that has to drive. Again, it's, it's not about what's right and wrong. It's not about what's legal or not legal. It's simply about what's wise. What's wise? And God talks a lot about this in Scripture. And you know what? It's exactly what you think it is. Okay, here's what he says, Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. He says, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. And so what we read here is that we're called to be careful. Careful here meaning intentional, meaning on purpose, meaning thoughtful, planned out. Be careful then how you live. Then looking backwards at the rest of Ephesians in light of everything we've talked about, in light of all that God has done for you, in light of all that God dreams for you, in light of all that God commands you to have nothing to do with ungodliness. Say yes to godliness. Grow. Have your family be your priority. We're going to read about family later in Ephesians and everything. In light of all of that, he says, be very careful then, intentional, purposeful, smart about how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Be very careful how you do this. Not haphazard, not random, but intentional so that you can be wise, not unwise. And then here we get to 16, and he says this, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And there's something that we have to understand here. Something that we have to wrestle with a little bit. Paul's writing to the church, that's us, Paul's writing to the church about how to be wise. And there are a lot of things we could use. There are a lot of things we could figure out. There's a lot of things we could wrestle with when it comes to being wise. But he references one specifically. There is one thing that he specifically references about the way to live a life that is wise. He says, be very careful. Don't be unwise, but be wise because the days are evil. And then he says, here's one thing. There's this one thing that I want you to know, and it's that you have to make the most of every opportunity. You have to use your time well. And as Christians, again, if you're here as an unchristian, I, I don't want you to waste your time. That feels terrible. I don't want you to waste your time. Okay? But if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, it's bigger than that. It's bigger than I don't want to feel bad about it. If you're here as a Christian, you know it's because you will give an account for your time. If you really believe that the God of the universe, your heavenly Father, Okay, is in charge of everything and that he stewards all of your time, all of your talent, all of your treasure. If you really believe that this is the authoritative word of God that instructs our behavior, if you really believe all that's true, then there's no way around the fact that as Christians, we will give an account to God about how we spend our days, about what we choose to do, how we choose to do it. And so Paul says, if you want to live a life that's wise, if you want to grow in maturity, if you want to have healthy family relationships, if you want everything to be the way it's supposed to be, then you must be careful how you live. Live intentionally. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And I think Paul, when he wrote this, he was thinking specifically about some evil in the world. The time probably the evil of Rome. But we know there's evil. We know our culture is evil. We know that our culture pulls us along in directions that maybe aren't the wisest. 
And we know we live in a culture. Here, here's the problem. When I say your time, your talent, and your treasure does not belong to you, when I say that, even as Christians, because of the culture that we live in and the way this movement goes, some of you are mad at me. Some of you think that's extreme. Some of you think that's unfair. That's the culture that we live in. The days are evil, and the culture pulls us along. But scripturally speaking, we know everything we have belongs to God. Our whole lives belong to God. We're simply stewards. Remember, the idea of stewardship is simple. It means it was never yours to begin with. I give Travis 20 bucks, okay, and I tell Travis, look, here's 20 bucks. You can have a couple, but here's what I need you to do with it. I need you to go to the store, and I need you to get this. I need you to get this, and I need you to get this. And then... This is magical $20. It goes a really long way, apparently, because then um, you and your sister are going to go to the movie, right? And, and you need to pay for your ticket and her ticket, and then if there's any leftover, you guys can share popcorn, right? And Travis goes, and he doesn't get anything on my list, but he buys some Oreos, Doritos probably. No one, Travis, it was Doritos. He buys some Doritos and some Mountain Dew, and then he goes to the movie theater and he leaves Aubrey in the lobby because he buys his ticket and there's only enough money for him to buy popcorn and get a ticket. And so she's out in the lobby and we would say, you know what? He was a terrible steward of the resources I gave him. He would say, but it was my money. I'm the one that held it. I had it in my hands. It was my time. It was all mine. And I would say, no, 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 no. It wasn't yours, kid. I gave it to you for a purpose. And you were to use it in a specific way. See, when I say that about Travis, you have no problem picking up what I'm putting down. You're like, oh yeah, that makes perfect sense. It was dad's money. He gave it to Travis. Travis should have spent it the way that, it, but this didn't happen. He didn't do this. He's innocent. Sorry, buddy. Kind of. But here's the thing. We have no problem as a parent seeing how Huh, yeah, okay, when we give money to kids for certain things, they are stewards of our money. We give it to them to spend wisely in a certain way. Well, God does the same thing for us. Go back to Job. God has decreed your life. Psalm 139 tells us that he knows every day in the book, every day of your life, before you were even conceived. Every day. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that God has divine plans for your life today. It says you were made new in Christ Jesus. Why? To do the good work I prepared for you a long time ago. Your time, your resources does not belong to you. You are stewards of it. And so we get that. And so Paul says, so be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. You know what that word means? Make the most, okay? The Greek word there is redeem. You are called to redeem the time that you are given. Redeem has a simple meaning, and it means squeeze every bit out of it. You are called to squeeze every little bit possible out of the time you were given. That's how you live wisely. 
That's what wise living looks like. Wise living looks like taking this thing that you have called your day, your week, your month, taking it and squeezing every little last bit out of it to the glory of God. That's what wise means. If you're going to bed, listen to me. If you're going to bed bored, if you are going to bed and you are not exhausted at the end of your day, you are not redeeming the time that you were given. And, and this is, that's, that's an issue, because there are some days when I'm like, oh, it's, it's, I, just, I just need to sit, I, need to, I hit a wall, I need to be done. Listen, if you're going to bed and you are not exhausted, you're wasting your time. You're not redeeming what you've been given. And you know what this means for us, if we're going to live wisely? It means that we have to say no to some things that are okay, so that we can say yes to things that are better. See, I heard Nicole say in her testimony, heard her say, you know what? I don't know how we had time for this. We just made time for it. We decided this was more important. And yes, maybe that means that, that I, couldn't, um, I couldn't golf this week. Maybe that means that I couldn't watch as much TV this week. Maybe that means that I had to tell the kids no uh, for this play date. Maybe I had to turn down a dinner invitation with a friend. Maybe I had to do some different things. But we said, this is going to be a priority. And we invested in it, and it was. And, and so here's, here's the reality. You are going to have to say no. I understand the ask I'm making. I'm saying I want you to be a part of small groups. We want 100% participation in small groups this semester because we think it's critical to your spiritual growth. Discipleship is a core value of ours. We say discipleship is a core value. Why? Because saved people grow. If you are sitting in this church and you are a Christian and you are basically in the same spiritual spot that you were when we introduced semester small groups last August, then you are not being an effective disciple. You are not making the most of how you live. You are not redeeming the time that you were given. Why? Because saved people grow. And relationships are important. We know nobody does this life well alone. We say relationships are a core value of ours. It, it simply means this. People don't grow in isolation. People grow in relationship to one another, where they get support from one another, and where they feed into one another, and where they hold one another accountable, where they correct each other when necessary, and they encourage each other, and they pour into one another. That's how growth happens. And so you are going to have to say no to some things. I'm going to ask you, what's wise in light of your past experiences, in light of your current circumstances, and in light of your hopes and dreams for your family? I loved hearing Nicole say, our kids are watching. I loved hearing her say, I was excited about small group when it came. See, I don't know if they know this, but, but her mom and dad, and I don't know about the people that were in that Bible study small group with them, but, but Nicole and Ben are saying, hey, you know what? We saw that, and we want that. And don't you want that for your kids? Don't you want your kids to desire Christian relationships, to desire spiritual growth? So in, in light of my past experiences, my current circumstances, and my dreams and hopes for the future— What's the wise decision that I need to make? Where do I need to start investing my time? Which means, not what's right or wrong, 
when you invest wisely, you're going to have to say no to some good things. The church has to do this in occasion. Church is in a position where we have to say no to good things so that we can say yes to best things. You're that same way in your life, in your family. There are things you say no to. They're not wrong. They're not wrong. But they're not great either. They're not great either. So we have to decide, and it gets down to this, right? When you ask the question, in light of my past experiences, my current circumstances, my hopes and dreams for the future, what's the wise thing to do? You owe it to yourself to be able to answer that question. And, and, and I get this. Answering that question does not mean that you'll always choose wise. There's another conversation that I've had with many of you, right, or with many people in my office or back when I was doing full-time counseling um, that, that would be like, yeah, I know that's wise, but I don't want to. I get that. But here's the deal. If you know what's wise, if you know what's right and you don't do it, okay, then you honestly don't have your best interest in mind. And perhaps you aren't as invested in your future as you think you are, as you claim to be. Because if you know what God says and you know what's right, and you know what's wise, and you know that, you know what, spending time with my family tonight over and above what I wanted to do. Listen, I love, I love, I think I've told you this story probably a uh, hundred times, but I love to watch football and I love to watch baseball. And when I met Carrie, she was gracious for a couple of weeks because when I met her, it was February and there was no baseball in February. And so it was all about Carrie. And then it got to be April and it got to be all about the Cubs with some Carrie on the side. And she was gracious for a couple of weeks, and then she came to me one day and said, hey, I've looked at the schedule. There's 160 of these things, <laughs> so something's got to give. But in light of my, my past experiences and my current circumstances and my hopes and dreams for the future, I watch a whole lot less baseball than I used to because Carrie's more important. There's nothing wrong with baseball. There's nothing wrong with that. But I had to say no to okay. I had to say no to something that was all right because there was something better to get to. Listen, this is not complicated, but if you have your own best interest in mind, then you'll choose wise. And I'm here to tell you as, as, as your pastor that I believe small groups is in your best interest. I've heard the stories of people that have submitted to small group and how they've grown. I, I see their spiritual lives. I see their growth, and I want to encourage you, okay, that it's in your best interest to be part of that. I hear Nicole's testimony. I want you to take Nicole's testimony to heart. And we're going to hear testimonies every week during this series about people that have submitted to small group in different ways and, 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 and that there were different hang-ups, but, but that they've decided to be all in on small groups. And I want you to hear their testimony about how it's, it's moved and changed and worked in their life. Okay, but for now, I want you to focus on Nicole's. Because if there's anybody, listen, that's got permission to say, oh, I'm too busy for that. You know, it's, it's a family with two full-time employees, one of them a farmer, nonetheless, one a preschool teacher, okay, with three kids, two twins, I guess just one set of twins, <laughs> and there's two of them. Oh, and then, you know what, because we got time, let's take on a, a five-year-old foster kiddo. 
but yet I'm hearing the testimony that says, but it's so worth it to carve out time and to make it a priority. Because I know where I've been, and I know where I am, and I know what my hopes and dreams are for my future, for my kids' future, for my family's future, for my church's future, for my community's future, and so I'm going to make the wise decision based on that. It's the encouragement I have for you, okay? Let me go back to this last thing. Ask the praise team to come up. It simply says this, be careful then how you live. Not as unwise, not as haphazard, not as flippant, not as unplanned, not as chaotic, but wise, making the most, redeeming the time that you've been giving, not settling for things that are just okay, not settling for good, but squeezing the most out of it that you can because the days are evil and the culture will move you along, but it's not a place that we want to be. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the fact that those of us here that, that love and follow you, we know that we are stewards of the things that we've been given, our time, our talent, our treasure, that we are uh, recipients of it, not so that we can bask in everything, not so that we can use it for our own glory or use it for our own well-being, God, but so that we can pour it out for the sake of the gospel, to love and give grace to the people that need it. Father, you've put us here and you've put us on mission. You've created good works for us to do long ago. You've seen every day of our life written in your book before we were even conceived. Father, everything we have is yours. And so we ask you to help us to choose wisely. Help us to redeem the time that we're given. God, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. Amen.